Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Good afternoon and welcome to this special edition of The Call. Over the next hour, our two expert guests are going to run the ruler over your stock picks beyond the ASX. So it's all international for the next 60 minutes. It's Friday, the 12th of November. I'm Nadine Blaney. And as always, a very warm welcome to those of you joining us via Twitter and YouTube today. I'm really excited about this one. And it's my pleasure to welcome our two expert guests for the hour to this special episode. In studio with me here is Charlie Aitken from Aitken Investment Management. Charlie, good afternoon to you. And joining us via Skype, David Lane from Ordmanette. David, top of the morning, I guess afternoon to you there in Brisbane. I'm not going to waste any time here. So you know that we usually start with the stock of the day. But given this is a special edition, I thought instead I want to make sure I get a buy from both of my expert guests. So we've asked our guests to give us one international stock pick that they would buy for the long term. So one for the bottom drawer, maybe for the kids' uni fees or even to help them with their first home. I don't know, that's personal, but all we want is a company that really stands out as a long-term quality hold with lots of potential upside. And Charlie, because you're here with me in studio, I will start with you. Oh, well, there we go. Now there's a lot of pressure on here today. We've got a new (laughs) format, new ideas, international shares. 98% 98% of the world that isn't Australian equities. Exactly. So if you ask me, look, you asked me for one thing that, you know, we, we own in the fund, I suppose, rather than a buy. If we own it in the fund, we bought it, yeah. right? And it's a big weighting in the fund. Something I think that could do well for people over time and a business that will be around in 20 or 30 years' time when people need mm-hmm. you know, to see what the, the result of this idea is. It's actually Nike. It's a very well-known global brand, you know, king of athleisure wear. But I just think it's a wonderful, wonderful business, you know, really backed by a couple of big trends, mainly the trend to athleisure, health and fitness. At the moment, it's seeing a little bit of interruption from supply chains. Obviously, the Port of Los Angeles is a problem for Nike, as it's a problem for everyone. And there's obviously COVID cases in Vietnam where they do quite a lot of uh, manufacturing. So it's been a bit of interrupted at the moment. They maybe don't have the greatest Christmas. But if you're a long-term investor, these are the opportunities you need to seek. So for me, something like Nike, other than being a great brand and great, great thematics below it, it's actually also a business transformation story. It is cutting out the middleman. It's trying to go direct to you as the customer. Mm-hmm. Cutting out all those sort of small uh, you know, shoe stores and things that have a small range of Nike shoes and many other brands. All trying to go digital and taking much higher margins along the way. I think eventually you'll just order your shoes from Nike.com. They'll know exactly your size. They'll know where you live. They know what you do running or whatever or you know, Pilates or yeah, whatever yeah. it is. And they'll try and sell you a T-shirt as well. So for me, Nike is a wonderful, wonderful global business. Being slightly interrupted by the issues of mm-hmm. today, which is supply chain. 
But that's one I can see us holding, you know, hopefully in 20 years' time. And if I'm around in 20 years' time, it's probably because I use my Nike shoes to stay fit. <laughs> yeah, good, good point. And 19 consecutive years of increasing payouts yep. as well. Now, David, I know that you're also on Team Nike, but you have another company that you think is going to be a long-term quality hold. What is it? Absolutely, yes. Totally agree with what, what Charlie said about Nike. Um, but yeah, the, the stock that we like from a longer term perspective is, is Disney or Walt Disney Company, um, ticket code DIS in, in the US. Uh, obviously, it's been around for a long time and the, we think that it will be around for a, a lot longer. Uh, it's a company that's had an ability to transform it used the, the pandemic or the timing of the, the pandemic to launch its Disney Plus platform. We have actually seen the shares come down recently in the last couple of days because it, it disappointed the markets in terms of its subscriber numbers. It, it only added 2.1 million subscribers in the last quarter, which yeah. was disappointing to the to the Wall Street analysts. But they now have 179 million subscribers on that Disney Plus platform. And the thing about Disney is that it's been able to use that platform to uh, distribute its, its movies when we're all at home and it's now transitioning to a hybrid where they'll they'll still release blockbusters in the in the movies but then they'll also be pay-per-view and uh, subscription services and the thing that Disney has done over the years is it's really built its franchises it's obviously got the theme parks which uh, is a bit of a reopening theme at the moment as as the world reopens and, and people will look for activities to do uh, as we head into Christmas and, and the new year when there's a lot more travel. Uh, but it's also added franchises such as Star Wars, Marvel to mm -hmm. its original Disney platform. So uh, continues to build out its content and is able to leverage off that content to um, yeah, d deliver more services and, and deliver more content. Uh, so yeah, we like Disney. Um, for long-term investors, the, the, the share price decline in recent weeks is, is probably a, a longer-term benefit. And uh, yeah, we think that that'll be around for a long, long time. A buying opportunity, you could say. And it says that it's going to be making moves into the metaverse, which we know is all the rage these days, even though, I mean, I don't know. But we're going to move on from that. Thank you for that, guys. We've got Disney as a pick, and we have Nike as a pick as well. Let's get to the companies that have been nominated by you, our viewers. And the first one is Teladoc Health. So the ticker code, NYSE, is TDOC. It's for Tanya saying that this was a company that was recommended by Kathy Woods from ARK Invest, of course, at the Sewn Hearts and Mind conference last year. It's climbed to $300 since come back, though, to $150 since then. So it is telemedicine, virtual healthcare, AI, analytics, all of those very buzzy things. What do you think of Teladoc? Narrative, 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 narrative. Can't justify it on its valuation. Not one for us. I think you've got to be very careful about stocks that saw a giant one-off leap in COVID-related demand. Most of them have come back 30, 40, 50, 60%. No offence to the great lady herself, she owns most of them. I think that there was a huge amount of money went into her stocks and ETFs right at the wrong time, which is unwinding. And I think the other thing with, with about uh, telemedicine is that the barriers to entry are actually quite low. You know, you need capital, you need a little bit of software, you can actually do it, you can, you can enter this business. So 
It's one that you won't see me owning. I'm very, very cautious. I mean, like, go back to one step. I mean, if Disney came back a little bit further, you may actually see us put in the fund. I agree with David's thesis. Mm -hmm. It's a reopening play. It's a normalisation play. Whereas telemedicine, you know, a bunch of other things we're going to talk about today really had a very large one-off bump from COVID. So I think it's time just to be sensible there. I think the valuation doesn't stack up for mine. We can't make the valuation stack up. And so it's one you won't see us owning. But I just think... A lot of those one-off COVID winners, that they got very, very, very expensively priced mm-hmm. and just might be time to be a bit sensible. Yeah, we've got one coming up that uh, was That's a COVID winner idea. in a big way. David, do you agree with that, though? Because I have had many conversations through the past year and a half where people have said, yeah, telehealth's time has come. We're never going to be going back to the way we used to visit our doctors, you know, yeah. which has benefits, but it also has downside risk as well. I mean, what do you think of Teladoc Health? Is it is it just simply too expensive? Well, yeah, I think it is too expensive. I, I do agree that I, I think that the the theme will change the way that we, we get our medicine. Uh, the interesting thing that Teladoc, Teladoc has recently done is uh, Primary 360, which is a an operation uh, or a business that they're uh, providing to employers in the US. So uh, I think that will be a a way for them to increase their market share and and to generate some more revenue. But as Charlie said, from a valuation point of view, it's difficult. It's not a company that makes money at the moment. Uh, It'd be one that if you are looking at that theme, you'd be putting it in the bottom drawer and and hoping in the future it becomes profitable. But at the moment it is difficult to justify on yeah. valuations. Um, yeah, so it'd be one okay. that I'd be steering And I will, because you're both new guests to the call, um, we usually sort of have a rule, if you wouldn't buy it today, then we wouldn't call it a buy. You know, like it, it sort of has to stack up at this present yeah. point in time. So that is, that's a no from both of you for Teladoc Health. That's what I'll call it. That's right. Peloton International, this is for Matthew. Matthew, thanks for writing in. He says, could I please get everyone's opinion on the company? It's taken a big hit lately. Yeah, sure has after its latest update. Will it bounce back? Is it a buy? I mean, its stock crashed after no. the quarterly update. Let's That's be a- very clear on yeah. the call. No, okay. it's gone from stupidly <laughs> expensive to expensive. It is a one-off COVID winner. How many people truly want to ride a push bike in their garage? Not me. Yeah, I may not speak and, for everyone. And you pay a, a, a monthly fee. subscription fee. I know, they get all the those, subscription yeah. thing, but they've got a huge amount of inventory they haven't sold. Their margins are collapsing. I think it's still expensive. I, I'm a definite no on Peloton. I think it's a classic example of a one-off uh, COVID winner. And let's, let's, not, let's just put COVID in its place. It is possibly a one in 200 year event. And you saw many stocks that were benefited from it go up 200, 300, 400% as if the demand for those businesses was permanent. Well, I don't believe that Peloton's demand is permanent. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a good business. I mean, it's a good product, but what do you pay for it? Same as like David's saying with Teladoc Health. I mean, you know, it's interesting business, but remember in share prices, it's, it's, it's price is what you pay. You know, and value is what you get or don't get. And I think Peloton's an absolute no for me. Uh, David, Peloton for you, because not only is the share price expensive, but the actual equipment is expensive. It's had to lower its prices by $400, but a Peloton bike still costs almost $1,500. So it limits the amount of people that can even get on one in the first place, don't you think? Or am I being too negative? No, I think it, it does. You, you're very, very right. And there are competitors that are coming into that market. And uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a COVID story. Um, you know, now that we're not confined to our homes, people are, are getting out, uh, 
running in the parks, riding on 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 real bikes on real <laughs> roads. Uh, and you know, the the thing about Peloton is that they've also tried to diversify into treadmills. They've just recently uh, announced a new um, weights fitness program. Uh, so they're they're trying to develop new products. They had massive recalls on a number of their uh, their treadmills due to um, medical issues or, or uh, accidents. So yeah, I think it's one that uh, again interesting story. I, I do like getting on the, the spin bike occasionally, but uh, I wouldn't pay a, a monthly subscription to do so, and I wouldn't buy the shares for it. Yeah, yeah right. I don't think I'm also buying a TV to be told how to lift weights. <laughs> yeah. just, not for me either. All right. Um, now this might be for me in terms of what they say about their customer experience lemonade for fiona thanks for writing in fiona lemonade is an online insurer operating primarily in the u.s but also in parts of europe but it says that it takes 96 seconds to get your insurance three minutes if you make a claim like i hate sorting out my insurance i will say that and the prospect of being able to log on do it quickly if you're getting a good deal i mean david lane and ord Manette, what do you think of lemonade um revenue up more than a hundred percent on the year but again this is another company that is actually still making a loss it is that's right yes um yeah, it, it's probably a better story than the others. Uh, it's it's using AI. It is, as you say, making that online insurance purchase easier. Uh, they've done that in, in home insurance and pet insurance. Uh, they've actually just announced a, uh, a potential acquisition uh, called Metro Mile, which is in the uh, the auto insurance business. So they're, they're looking at um, making the customer experience better. Uh, the company as far as the the Wall Street analysts are concerned is it it's got three buys four holds and and three sells so it's not overly loved by the street uh, again it's it's one that um, the, the valuations are hard to justify uh, if you're looking for insurance exposure in the US um, you know I'd probably go for a, a business like Berkshire Hathaway that has uh, massive insurance business um, is an incumbent in the in the industry but then also has exposure to a whole range of other industries and you, you're buying effectively a, a, a portfolio ex- exposure to uh, the US okay so I'll call that a bonus by Berkshire Hathaway but a lemonade <laughs> is a no from David Lane from Ward Manette. How about you, Charlie? Can you find well, a little bit of love? It's interesting. Obviously, uh, David and I spoke last night and coordinated all our answers. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the, they did not, thanks for the, the record. Thanks for the Berkshire plug. Berkshire's our second biggest investment. Yeah. And, and it's a diversified play on insurance, right? With Geico and Berkshire Re. Then they reinvest the float in other businesses. So, look, we our, our quasi-insurance play is Berkshire. But is insurance ripe for disruption? Yes. You know, absolutely. It's, it's, it's sloppy. It's time-consuming. You feel like you're ripped off all the mm-hmm. time. You feel you're a good driver and you're paying for all the bad drivers. Like, it actually is ripe for disruption. And I've had a little look at Lemonade. When I first got your list, Jess, I assumed it was a soft drink company. So <laughs> I'm pretty quick learning about this one. But I mean, I do think the industry is, um, is ripe for disruption. There's no doubt about this. This seems to be a bit of an industry leader in the new way of you know, online insurance and claims. And anything that you know, makes it easier for customers to actually renew their insurance or claim, and plus also being probably less of a pull, I think is actually interesting. I, I'm a no because I can't get my head around the valuation. It's another one of those stocks. I just can't get my head around the valuation. But is it interesting? I think it's actually quite interesting. Okay, so it's we're going to put that on Charlie's watch list. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah, interesting. All right, um, so that is Lemonade for you, Fiona. Let's get on to number four on the list, Moderna. 
So mRNA, we have talked so much mm. about Moderna through this COVID experience, we know. But Sam's given us a little bit of color. He said, I bought Moderna recently, and it has great potential still in early stages of growth. The share price has declined about 30% in the last week or so. I'd like to accumulate more. What is the panel's opinion on the stock? So Moderna, you can see, and we know, that it developed the mRNA vaccine. It's also in a patent dispute with the federal government. Uh, the Biden administration is getting a little bit upset over its production levels. And it, of course, you know, there have been some side effects with the vaccine. It also missed its sales estimates. Charlie, in a COVID pandemic, Pfizer you know, beat estimates. So has Moderna lost the COVID-19 vaccine? Oh. Possibly. It still played a great role in it, though. Mm -hmm. You know, we should thank them for all their efforts. We wouldn't, I wouldn't be sitting in the studio here with, without them. Yeah. But you can see, obviously, on the chart that the market got very, very excited about vaccines, mRNA technology. And we're just basically seeing an unwind, again, like I've said through the program, of COVID-related winners. This is obviously one of the greatest ones. Look, I think there's possibly easier things to own in, in pharmaceuticals or in, in um, biotech, to a, to a degree. And I think that Quite frankly, I just, I'm a no on Moderna as well. I know I'm Mr. No here today, mm -hmm. but we own things like, uh, you know, the Thermo Fisher Industries and things like that. We just think are better, you know, it's more sort of pathology plays and more analytical plays and device plays. And I think Moderna, no offence to it, is a tiny bit of a one-trick pony and that trick might be just ending. Now, is that how you see the landscape when it comes to Moderna, David? Or uh, we're talking about mRNA potentially even addressing some cancers. I mean, the, the actual technology the is stuff, yeah. potentially in its infancy. Uh, to Sam's point, he's bought, he's seen mm. the share price decline. He obviously, I'm going to make the assumption, sorry, it's not obvious. He, he's obviously, he's made the assumption that, that it's for real because he wants to accumulate sure. more. Would now be a good time to do that if you believe in the technology, you believe in the company? I, I agree with the thesis that in, in his case that adding to the, to the stock at current levels does make a little bit of sense. I'd probably be a little bit cautious in the next few weeks and maybe see if it settles a little bit lower um, because of all of those uh, issues that you've said with the FDA and, and with uh, uh, you know, a number of the, the, the press articles that are going around about Moderna. Um, I think it's it's definitely an interesting company and it, it's no doubt had a, a massive kick through COVID. Prior to COVID, uh, it was effectively a research and development company in, in biotech. So uh, it's important to, to make a distinction between a Moderna and, and Pfizer and AstraZeneca, for example, who are traditionally um, drug manufacturers, one of the issues that Moderna has had is that it really didn't have any drug manufacturing until 12 months ago. So it's had to ramp all of that up and it's it's obviously had some issues with that. So definitely from a long-term point of view, it's a it's an interesting research and development company that, that gives you exposure to biotech. Uh, if it's in your portfolio, I'd, I'd only have a reasonably small percentage of your portfolio in the stock. Uh, but probably be a little bit cautious in the next few weeks. But, uh, yeah, could look to add it um, you know, on a little bit more weakness. Got it. Thank you for that. And I echo your sentiments. I mean, we're very, very impressive that we had all this uh, vaccine. Oh, the speed of it was unbelievable. It's just incredible. And that's one thing I don't think that people actually think about and, and realize, you know, the miracle of, miracle. of modern, modern really medicine. It is a miracle. All right. Uh, before I get on my soapbox, so too high or comfortable there, let's get on to the next company on the list. And it is a 
well, a more traditional company, let's call it that, Ford. Now, Doug has written in and he said, I've held shares in Ford myself for a while and was stopped out on a correction. Since then, of course, it's been on a rocket. Is it too late to get back in? It's got a new CEO, Jim Farley, mm -hmm. and he's undergoing, and it's still going on, this major transformation of the company. It, I didn't realize this, actually owns about 12% of Rivian, of course, yeah. which is listed at yeah. a $100 billion market cap. So it, the share price has, has, has dramatically improved under this new CEO. So is it too late to get back in? Look at that chart. Well, I... It's hard to work out what part of that chart is driven by the Rivian shareholding and IPO two weeks ago, our anticipation of that, and obviously Tesla and everything else that's been in the space going you know, nuts, as mm -hmm. we know. Look, Ford to me is interesting. It's had an almighty rally from you know, near bankruptcy to 20 bucks, and the Rivian IPO has happened, and so people can see a you know, crystallisation of that. I mean, Rivian Holdings about you know, 12 billion and Ford's market cap's 20 odd or 30. It's, like, it's, it's a huge part of it. Personally, personally, I think personally, I think right now, though, in the electronic vehicle space, there is an almighty bubble led by Tesla's share price. Almighty bubble, you know. We all know what's happening. We all know the transition to electric vehicles is happening, but the valuations are ludicrous in, in my way. And that's not a pun on the way you drive a, a Tesla car when you press that button. But I just think you need to be sensible here. I think all the other automakers, including Ford, are actually quite interesting. You know, they will come up with electric vehicles. I mean, you saw the other day one part of the re-rating of Ford was actually President Biden driving an F-150 truck, mm -hmm. an electric one. And people went, hang on, they've built an F-150 that actually yeah. works. You know, so the competition is coming for Tesla and price competition is coming for Tesla and new entry levels are coming for Tesla and Ford could be part of it. So. We've got to do a bit more work on some of these sort of companies. They're a bit capital intense for our portfolio, but they could be a better way of playing the electric vehicle revolution or a more value-orientated way of playing it than the obvious people like Rivian and, and Tesla. Mm -hmm. So I think it's actually quite interesting, but I, I just wonder how much of it's been driven by the, the recent IPO. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that is not a buy today. It would be something... So, uh, something you'd look at. Maybe. Yep. Yeah. Okay, now let's get uh, David Lane's view on Ford because... Somebody, you know, it, like it's not going to be just Tesla, no. right? I had a conversation yesterday with a gentleman who said that you need to look at the Volkswagens mm. of the world um, because Absolutely. they're going to be doing it and they've got the production capacity. Is Ford, you know, potentially a dark horse in this race to EV? Oh, definitely. Yes. And, and we like Ford. We think it, uh, it's a good portfolio position. Uh, as Charlie said, the, the share price has rallied recently, but we still think that uh, it and some of the other uh, traditional manufacturers are mm. um, significantly better value than, than Tesla, but certainly worthwhile uh, you know, having Ford in, in your portfolio. Uh, it's interesting that um, you know, it, it, when we're talking about inflation, uh, inflation is, is starting to happen in, in both new cars and used cars uh, right around the world. So cars over the last decade or even two decades have, have actually been falling in prices. So we're now actually entering a period where uh, manufacturers like Ford will actually be able to increase their prices and uh, potentially increase their margins. Uh, and as you said, the, the electronic vehicle um, theme will be a continuing theme for decades to come and uh, manufacturers like Ford will be at the, the forefront of that. Um, Tesla gets all the all the, the headlines, but uh, yeah, all the manufacturers are, are going in there and Ford's you know, our pick on, yeah, I think on the... Uh, David makes a good uh, point there, right? I mean, the, the traditional manufacturer fight back's coming here. The competition's mm -hmm. coming. Yeah, Tesla's had a first mover advantage, mover advantage but it's, its product's expensive. 
you know, it's not for everyone. So, look, I think this is going to get interesting. I think that, the, that these companies aren't just going to fold over and die and let Tesla sell every electric no. vehicle. So, it's just going to get a bit more interesting from here. And look, mate, yeah, I think David's summary is pretty good. Yeah, David. So, so just to push the point a little bit, would you buy Ford today? Uh, well. Thankfully, we already have it in, in many of our portfolios, so I probably wouldn't be buying it at, at today's price, uh, but definitely you know, we, we anticipate that over the, the coming weeks and months, uh, as there is discussion about interest rates and inflation, that we could see a little bit of weakness in the markets, and mm -hmm. Ford would be a, a stock that I'd look to, to add to on weakness. Add on weakness, it's currently trading at $19.55. Of course, US dollar and currency is something that you do need to account for when you're investing in international shares. That's you my do. PSA yes. for the day. And also, don't forget, this is information only. This is not for your personal circumstances. So you do need to do your own research and get financial advice if needed. Mind the disclaimer at the top and bottom of the show. Listen, we'll let our guests have a bit of a rest while I take you through what we've learned already so far in this special international edition of The Call. I had a feeling you all out there would want a firm buy from our guests, so we did that off the top. Charlie's buy for the long term in international shares is Nike. So innovation, digital advantage, uh, going straight to the consumer. It's doing well, and it will continue to do so for the long time in Charlie's view. Now, David has chosen Disney. So Disney, it's a reopening play. There's plenty to go you know, behind it in terms of tailwinds, uh, in terms of the theme parks, and it's also got its movie business, and it's got the subscription service that so many of us signed up to during lockdown, and it's still got a ways to go, but he believes it will do it over the long term. So David's got Disney. Now, to the companies that have been nominated by you, and thanks again for writing in. We had a huge response to this program. Teladoc Health, look, this one was for Tanya. This is an avoid for Charlie based on valuation. It's a business that has very little barriers to entry, even though uh, you know, it is one of those COVID pandemic thematics that has been emerged. And again, uh, for David, it doesn't make sense on price. It's a valuation company. It's expensive. Peloton International, this is for Matthew. That is a hard no from Charlie. He made that clear right from the beginning. Oh, it was, look, stupidly expensive. In his view, it's gone from stupidly expensive to just expensive. So that's a no, Matthew. And again, David points out that there's competitors moving into this space. So even though it's evolving and treadmills and weights and everything else, not only do people want to actually get back on the roads when they're allowed to get out and about, it's that, you know, this is not, again, I guess, a, a huge moat around this business. Now, Lemonade, Charlie admits that uh, insurance is a, a business that is absolutely ripe for disruption. However, this company in particular is a no. So it's interesting. He'll keep an eye on it. But again, valuation. Don't forget, even if you love the business, it's about what you pay for it. And David for Lemonade says that it is, again, a valuation call for him. Excuse me, I just need a little sip of water. What he would rather buy to get exposure to the insurance space is something like Berkshire Hathaway. <coughs> Excuse me, which Charlie loves because he holds Berkshire. It's his second biggest holding, is it? Biggest, yep. Got it. And then fourth on the list was Moderna for Sam. <coughs> I've just got a tickle. He's bought it, but Charlie says no. He would rather look at some of the pathology plays in the States. Again, it's this unwind of the COVID winners. Excuse me. It's all, it's all good. Yeah, no, I know. That's awful. Okay. 
He's got his mask up. Moderna. Speaking of COVID-19, not a time to buy now in terms of David Lane's view. It is an R&D company. It got a huge boost from COVID-19, but it is not a traditional manufacturer. So again, not bad if you're looking for some exposure to biotech, but it would be a very small part of your portfolio. I'm back on track. Ford. Ford is interesting. Interesting for both of my guests. In fact, uh, David would say you do want Ford on your portfolio. He wouldn't buy it today because he'd wait for a pullback. Look, Charlie's interested by it because Tesla's not going to take the whole EV market. So it's an interesting one to him. I think that he would prefer to buy it, though, cheaper. He's going to do a bit more work on that one. So there you go. Those are the companies that we have covered so far. I'm just going to update you quickly on the portfolio. Of course, this is the portfolio that we've been tracking since July 1st of last year, thanks to our partner, NabTrade. Uh, the stocks that we are talking about today will not be going in. However, we are still tracking the progress of any stocks that get two thumbs up today separately. Uh, look, this is the portfolio over the week, up 1% over the month, 4.5%, roughly speaking. Year to date, so financial year to date, 9.5% higher. Since the fund's inception, though, so that's since July 1st, 2020, we're up 48%. So, of course, it's all ASX stocks and some companies we've added lately, Rhythm Biosciences, MedAdvisor, Seven West Media, Smart Parking, and Vanguard U.S. Total Market Shares Index ETF. Stocks that we've taken out, though, and this was just yesterday, Southern Cross Media, Magnus Energy, and PWR Holdings. Hub24 also out as well. And if you'd like to take a look in at that portfolio, you can do it at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And we update you every day with how it's tracking. Thanks for writing in, Greg. He's asked about ASML Holdings. It's in the semiconductor space. It's actually been called, Charlie, the most important company that people have never heard of. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I kick myself for not owning this one. You know, I've always thought it was, this is one where you have to admit you've made a mistake. It's one of the most important businesses in the world. It absolutely is. The world can't even operate without their microchips and semis. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful business. But it's always been um, you know, optically expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it always generates a ton of cash. It's highly profitable. It's a great business. It's really well run. It's, it's absolutely vital to the world economy. But I've made the mistake that, you know, you've got to admit your mistakes of always just thinking it was a bit too expensive, waiting for a pullback. That broadly never happened. Mm-hmm. You know, if we ever get a pullback in ASML, and it may, it may happen at some stage, it did, you know, dipped a little bit recently, but that was just on rotation. I think that is an absolutely wonderful business. And, you know, it's got pricing power, it's got huge barriers, huge barriers to entry in terms of how it puts its you know, microchips together. Yep. That's really proprietary technology. And I think that is a truly wonderful business. So if you're lucky enough to own it, well done. I, didn't, I wasn't smart enough to buy it at the right price. But it is, in my opinion, a, 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 yeah, you could call it a buy if you want to call it on that, on that list. Well, that's what I was going to say, yeah. Charlie, because you don't mind paying for quality. I mean, no, if no, you believe that the share price is going to continue to yeah, rise, why got, wouldn't you no, buy exactly. it today? Oh, because we only, hope, you know, we only own well, 20 stocks. Well, this is for the fund, yes. Yeah, competition, yeah. In the, competition in the portfolio is what we you can't have everything. But I do sort of kick myself for not owning this one. I think it is a truly great business. Now, I know that you don't own it in the fund. However, I am going to take that as a, as a buy. buy. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I got one from him. Guys. Yeah, that's a there buy. Go. Uh, David, how about you? Uh, look, we know the troubles that we're having with supply chains right now. Um, those will wane, but it, uh, you know, it will be a boon for the company in the meantime. But it's up 100% over the past 12 months, to Charlie's point. I mean, is it just yeah. simply too expensive to buy? 
I think it is at the moment. Yes, I, I, I totally agree with, with Charlie's view on the stock and it is a very good business. But the, the thing that surprised me is the share price has been as strong as it has uh, in a time when they've had all sorts of material shortage and, and logistics issues, obviously not just uh, you know, AS, ASML, but the, the whole semiconductor industry is, has been facing those issues. So uh, I, yeah, I'm surprised that we haven't seen a little bit of weakness in the, in the share price. If we do see some, I'd be looking at, at adding it, but at the moment I'd, I'd probably be steering clear. Mm, okay, that's interesting. ASML for you, Greg, that's the call. Let's get to NVIDIA because it's in the same space. So it was basically a, a processing chip for for design units, so for the gaming and the professional markets, but it again has evolved. Um, so it's getting into the automotive market and it's getting into mobile computing, which of course is, you know, it is where the semiconductor demand is coming from. So NVIDIA, it's a tech stock valued, and here comes the value again, more, I just, fun fact, than JP Morgan, so the mega bank. Um, would you? be buying NVIDIA, David, because we do have, you know, we've mentioned Meta already. Everybody's talking about getting into the Metasphere and you're going to need NVIDIA chips for that. Definitely. Yes, ab absolutely you are. Uh, and also we spoke earlier about the the EVs. Um, NVIDIA chips uh, are used in Tesla vehicles and, and will be used in a, in a range of other vehicles in, in the future, no doubt as well. Uh, they're used for, for GPS tracking and uh, yeah, so it, it definitely the technology is here to stay and NVIDIA is the, the leader in, in that space. Uh, again, it's difficult from a valuation point of view to, to justify their share price, but uh, for a, a long-term portfolio, you know, I, I really think it is one of those stocks that you can actually uh, buy for a, a long-term portfolio, hold them, uh, and in five or ten years' time, you'll be very happy that you've done so. Okay, so you would buy NVIDIA, even on valuation, but you would not buy ASML. Like, is there a reason? Because I know I'll be asked that. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it is challenging and it, it's tough. I think that ASML um, in the short term, uh, you know, I'd like to see some, some weakness in their share price as we get through these uh, these logistics issues. It's obviously having an impact on NVIDIA as well. Uh, but you know, I think uh, you know, over the longer term, we've seen a little bit of a uh, more of a pullback in, in NVIDIA. Uh, mm. And it's, yeah, again, one, one stock that I'd, I'd put in in the portfolio in a small portion uh, and hold for the long term. Thank you. What about you, Charlie? Yeah, I broadly agree with that, actually. I think look, it's had a big pullback. It was a big narrative stock, you know, obviously gaming, you know, called lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera. But look, you know, it's, it's been hit hard because of the actual chip shortage. It is a problem. It's, it is right in the middle of the chip shortage. Yeah. So it's had a revenue miss and all that sort of things. But look, I think it's an interesting business. It's got great, great products. Products are essential, a bit like ASML for you know, daily life yeah. as such. But I, look, we don't own it at the moment, but I think it's an interesting stock. I think it's, you know, its valuation is more interesting than it was, obviously. Yeah. And I broadly, without just doubling, uh, you know, repeating exactly what David said, I actually agree with his thesis. And I think that it, it probably is a buy down here. You could have a nibble. Yeah. Good. All right, so we got to buy NVIDIA if we had a fantasy portfolio. That would be one going in. the global in. fantasy portfolio. <laughs> okay. Come on. I think it's going to become a thing. I'm going to, I'm going to push for that. All right, this one, Cheeky. This is for Nick because he's basically getting two companies in one. But anyways, he has said, um, yeah, which would you buy, Microsoft or Apple? Um, so let's compare the pair. 
Well, I can answer that one pretty clearly yeah. because we sold out of Apple about a year ago and we had second biggest, or third biggest holding is Microsoft. I think Microsoft is a truly wonderful, wonderful business. It has long-term potential to compound earnings over time. When you think about your day, you know, yes, you look at your iPhone every day, but the operating systems in most offices and most, you know, personal computers now are Microsoft and they've got pricing power. They just recently put up their prices. In the, if you go back one step, we are in a more inflationary world. So you want businesses that can raise their prices above inflation and grow faster than inflation. Plus, you also want businesses that are lowly geared, don't have to pay more for, the, more for the debt. Microsoft ticks every box. It's got wonderful management. And it is an absolutely, it's quite amazing to see a $2 trillion company still growing at 20% mm-hmm. per annum. It is absolutely amazing with pricing power. And it's something like about, I think it's 55% of their revenue is just unearned. People just, you know, opt to pay for Windows, etc., for the next uh, 6, 12 months. So they know what, they roughly know what their revenue is going to be. They're doing big buybacks. I love Microsoft. And we don't own Apple because Apple, it's a great business. It's one of the world's great businesses. But it's, it's still a device company. For all the stuff about services, it still gets 60, 65% of its revenue from selling iPhones. And that's fine. But to turn the dial on Apple from a revenue perspective, they need another blockbuster mm-hmm. something. And I just can't see what that blockbuster something is. When you're 2.2 trillion market cap, you really, really need to find a new product. Yeah, they can go along and they have more services revenue in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. We get all that. But I far prefer Microsoft over Apple at these prices. $332. Yep, all-time highs. Yep, still happy to buy still? Microsoft. That's yep. a buy. And we'll just leave Apple alone for a little while. Okay. Uh, yeah, maybe an Apple EV would change your mind. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All right, let's get David Lane from Ordmanette's view on Microsoft v. Apple. Which would you pick? Well, I hate to agree with everything that Charlie says, but, but I'd also... Uh, prefer Microsoft. Um, although having said that, I don't mind either. And, and in a diversified portfolio, yeah. I'd be quite comfortable owning both Microsoft and Apple. That's a fair um, But Microsoft, um, as Charlie said, very, very good franchise. We all, well, not everybody, but most people uh, use the products on a daily basis. Uh, and it it is now a subscription business. So it's, mm. it's just continuing generating that, that cash flow. Um, Apple is really almost, although we, we do look at Microsoft and Apple as somewhat competitors, they're, they're really different now. And, and Apple is almost a luxury goods provider. Uh, and, you know, they, they can charge a premium for their product. And again, Apple is, is also being impacted by the, the shortage of, of chips at the moment. And they've already said that their their sales of iPhone 13 will be impacted by that. There's delays in, in getting delivery of, of their new phone. Uh, and they're now semi-reliant on their their churn so there's an average of 3.2 years that we turn over our our phones uh and that's what they're relying on for the the sales of the the iphone 13 so uh yeah at the moment if we're comparing the two i would also uh lean towards microsoft at, at present I mean, I think the, the point about how far Apple can push prices is another good one. Like, I mean, where do you balk at a new iPhone? You know, what, what price is it? And I just, I don't think they've got the pricing power that Microsoft has. Mm-hmm. I think Microsoft has better pricing power and that really attracts us. So look, again, they probably shouldn't be compared that much. You know, one's a device company and one's a software business, mm-hmm. but two gigantic companies. But they're still both great businesses. You but know. this is the thing. We're, we're mucking around semantics yeah. a little bit. It comes, it comes up a lot, though, in... We have the propensity to buy names overseas that we know yeah, that we no, use. There's no that problem with that. That's worked well. Yeah. That has worked well. You know, if you'd simply bought the businesses that you use in daily life in Australia in a global portfolio, 
you probably killed it. If yeah. you think about it, like you don't actually have to overcomplicate this that much. You yeah. would have killed it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's uh, that's the verdict on Microsoft v. Apple. And it is uh, clearly in Microsoft's favor. Now we get to Roblox. So this is RBLX for Stuart. He's been teaching his 10 year old daughter about the share market. And she suggested, I love this, that he should buy shares in Roblox. Apparently, they've been around since 2006. Yep. Um, all her mates play it. Give each other Roblox money. I'm sure I'm telling many parents out there what they already know. Um, so they can actually use currency within this ecosystem. You can actually trade it out for real currency. Stuart says, is it a possible 10-bagger? I'm going to start with you on this one, David Lane. It's a video game developer. So you're in that ecosystem and you can create characters. It's net loss widened even as it saw a lot of use during yep. the pandemic. But the interesting thing, the company says they haven't seen that demand waning when kids have gone back to school. Mm -hmm. What do you think of it? Yeah, I have to admit that with with my kids now a lot older, it wasn't it wasn't a, yeah. uh, a product that I was aware of. So I've, I've done a little bit of research on it. And, uh, you know, if you if you believe Mark Zuckerberg and the metaverse, um, companies like like Roblox have been ahead of the curve because they've really created their own metaverse um, and certainly an interesting business interesting company uh, again very difficult to justify purchasing it on on any form of fundamentals as you said it's a loss-making business um, but it could well be one of those stocks that in 10 years time it, it could well be a 10 bagger um, but it may also be something that in uh, 10 years time you don't have any money so it would be very very speculative um, but yeah an interesting story nonetheless so is it a concern to you david that these things can be fatty like it's a fad amongst all the kids right now and that can change is that part of it oh definitely absolutely they they can be uh and yeah certainly kids can can change their allegiances very very quickly um you know it, it is the sort of company that that could become a takeover target for somebody like facebook or or uh, meta as it's now called uh but yeah buying a, a stock like that for for those sorts of reasons is again highly speculative um so it's yeah probably a uh yeah an interesting story but but one that i'd, I'd prefer to read rather than invest in well, yeah, that's my question to Charlie. I mean, do you? Well, look, I got, I got to admit, I got to fess up to the uh, viewers that this whole video gaming thing just passed me by. I'm too old. I played cricket. I, I, I don't understand it really. I mean, the younger guys in the team have their heads around these things. Roblox, 62 billion market cap, US. Okay, this is no small company. <laughs> right? You know, this is, a, this is a big company now. We have an investment in Japan in Nintendo, an established video game player with an established network that's moving more to subscription, actually opening theme parks and doing a bit of a Disney, but in a, in a Nintendo version. And it's cheap. And we can see the cash flow. We can see the dividends, etc. So we, we play this whole video gaming thing through tangibility and things we know. I have literally no idea if, if Roblox could be a 10-bagger or, as David says, a zero. But it often, I, I would say one thing, often when your children tell you something is good, it actually is worth buying 1% of it or something. Yeah, yeah. Just 1% of it because we don't know. I'm 48, I don't know a thing about this thing, right? Yeah. It's passed me by. You know, so it is not actually ridiculous to have a small toe in something your children think is interesting. Mm -hmm. Would have worked in Instagram, Facebook, all these sort of things, you know. I'm not giving financial advice. No, no, but I mean, that's Wouldn't that be a great Christmas present 
for the nine. Maybe not giving them Roblox, just but give her yeah. a few shares yeah. in Roblox. She might be better off in Roblox shares than Roblox currency. Put it that way. Huh? <laughs> uh, look, are are you buying this oh, whole? I can't meta? say buy. No, I, look, no, I, no, no, no. I, I'm just not. That's way too early for me. We won't know for about 15, 20 years if Zuckerberg's right on that. You'll either get it absolutely right or waste fifty billion dollars. I don't know is yeah. the answer. I think there's businesses that could benefit from it. Like that's one of the reasons we own uh, Nintendo and things mm. like that. But look, I, I I couldn't call myself a world expert on the, the metaverse. Yeah. I don't yeah. think anyone can really. No, uh, we can't even call it Meta. We keep mm. saying Facebook. David, have you changed yes. your thinking from Facebook to Meta yet? Are you are you more in tune Not than quite. us? No, not quite. No, I, I don't really, uh, yeah, can't profess to, to understand it um, greatly either. Um, but, yeah, certainly uh, an area that, that is evolving and, and has become, uh, yeah, very, um, very interesting. Um, but, yeah, not from an investment point of view. Okay, Roblox is too risky uh, for both of my expert guests. And that brings us to... Lucky last, which is Open Door Technologies. The ticker code is OPEN. Open, this is for Chris. Now, this is an area of the market that's got quite a lot of headlines generated around it lately because Zillow uh, was in that business. Mm. It basically using AI and algorithms to buy homes and buying off real people. And then the idea is that they sell them for more. Well, Zillow fell into a whole lot of trouble, but reportedly, Charlie, Open Door Technologies is doing it better. In fact, this is a company, one of the few on the list today, that is making money. So it posted EBITDA of 35 million in the third quarter in a tough market. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to get tarnished by the Zillow stick. I mean, letting the computer do what it likes and burning 500 million or a billion dollars, God knows yeah. what the loss is going to be. When you, you're, you, know, you were a great real estate portal like you know, REA or Domain, that's what Zillow was, and then they ventured off into capital-intensive flipping houses, which mm-hmm. works in a bull market for a while until you pay the wrong entry price. And, and apparently them... they were paying the wrong entry prices yeah. and didn't, their algorithms, while Open Door pulled back in certain markets, Correct. Zillow was still going yeah, Zillow just ahead. Yeah, getting hit and hit and hit. Now they own 17,000 houses and they've got to get rid of them, right? Yeah. And they've got borrowings against it. So it's a mess, right? And it probably, it probably affects Zillow's brand badly for the foreseeable future, even as just a portal for real estate, yeah. where people go, what's his estimate? That's, that's that thing where you blew it up yourself. Yeah, so what's yeah. his estimate worth? Look, Open Door is interesting. It could be a beneficiary of all this. You know, like actually there will be a winner in this sort of, you know, you, know, you, you get an online quote for your house and you sell it. I mean, let's, let's go back a step. And no, no offence to the real estate agents that are watching. Real estate is ripe for disruption. Everyone knows it, right? It's antiquated, you know. It's, 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 it's opaque. You don't even know who's really a bid or who's not. It's very antiquated the way real estate trades, particularly in America. So I think the sector is ripe for disruption. Open Door might be the disruptor. Might be. I wouldn't say buy it because I can't, again, get my total head around the valuation. But I think Zillow blowing up may well be good for Open Door. And, you know, maybe they're a better business. Maybe they're more on top of what's happening. But this idea that every person in America gets, every real estate agent gets 5 or 6% both sides of the transaction. Yes. It's just, honestly, it, it seems 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And there's just no transparency as well. So, look, I think it's an interesting business. But I, I think maybe Zillow blowing up is... Is providing opportunity. There you go, Chris. That's uh, Charlie Aitken's view on Open Door Technologies. David Lane from Ordmanet. What do you think about Open Door? I, I wish I bought it earlier in the week because it's it's really rallied. Uh, I think it was up about fifteen and a half percent last night. So uh, they actually came out with their results, with which were uh, their revenue was was up significantly higher. Uh, so you know, short term, it, it's been a beneficiary. Uh, it's 
taking advantage of the, the very, very strong uh, housing market that we have globally, not just in Australia. Uh, so in the short term, while the, the housing sector continues to, to run, um, you know, it, it's obviously proven that, that at the moment it's making money. Uh, the issue with a company like Open Door is I wouldn't want to be holding it when the housing market starts to turn, because if they end up with a, a portfolio of houses that they can't sell or the, the value of the, the prices, uh, value of the houses is falling significantly, well then uh, that's when you, you see a stock like Open Door um, you know, fall dramatically. So if you're in it, uh, I'd be watching the, the housing sector very, very closely. Do you, Charlie, in your fund have any exposure to the housing narrative in the United States? No, indirectly through Berkshire, which has businesses that are leveraged to housing. But no, look, I think that's all very frothy now. I think all housing is very frothy. I think the interest rate cycle's bottomed. I think that the only one way for interest rates to go from here is up. So probably a time to be broadly sensible in housing activity. It always ends in a big crescendo. And then someone blows up, and, and Zillow just blew up. Yeah. Right? So how much of the US housing price strength was actually Zillow's, uh, Zillow's algorithm going crazy? You don't know, like, and feeding off into other, other, other transactions. So I think broadly it's a time to be sensible in, in all housing globally and housing-related players, because everyone's a property developer at the moment. Everyone's you know, down at Bunnings, painting yeah. their fence, doing what they want. So. And the interest rate cycle's changing, so I just think it's time to be a little sensible there. And, and if that interest rate cycle is changing, Charlie, is that also a reason to be cautious on some of these high-growth companies that yeah, really look, did dominate today? I mean, look, really, look, if you look, forgetting short-term interest rates, really about long-term interest rates and the discount rates and whether they start moving, because I do think there's a bit, of, uh, bit, more than, a bit more permanency to some of these inflationary pressures, particularly energy and wages. Not so worried about ports and logistics and other things or semiconductors. They'll probably fix themselves, but wages are going up, skilled, skilled labour wages are going up. And energy, as we transform to a more you know, renewable energy world, no one's invested in oil. There's no new oil supply. So as that transition takes place, we might have to be used to much higher oil and gas prices for the foreseeable future. So I think that's... You know, possibly going to you know, drive inflation expectations and possibly see bonds react. So you want to be very careful if you paid for cash flows 20 years away and the discount rate changes. Mm -hmm. And that's when you'll lose 40, 50% of your, your equity value. So I think it, watch, it requires very close watching. And look, there will be winners out of this, but out of the dot-com boom, there, was only, there wasn't 20 Amazons. There was one. You know, we just, not every single thing that's innovation will be a great investment particularly as interest rates rise a little bit. Yeah, David, that's a good point. You know, innovation versus investment, is that key to you when you're thinking about some of these really exciting companies doing really interesting things? Sometimes things that you personally don't know an incredible uh, you know, amount about, and that's not a slight on you. It's yep. just the reality of it, right? Absolutely, that's that's definitely the case. That there are uh, yeah lots of innovations that that will be very very successful. Um, many of which we we don't know about at the moment. Um, but over the the longer term, uh, yeah, as as Charlie said, cash is king, uh, and you really want to be looking for those companies that have the ability to to back their innovation uh, and have a balance sheet to be able to do so. Uh, you know, many of the stocks that we've looked at today, unfortunately, are very difficult to justify on, on valuations. Uh, and yeah, definitely, when we're looking at the, the bigger picture, uh, interest rates and inflation are, are top of mind at the moment. And uh, the, they're some of the things that we're, we're looking at and, and being cautious about. And I think it's probably important to look at, really, the last two years have been a, a massive 
aberration in markets. We've yeah, seen the, the big COVID crash and then we've seen the, the massive recovery out of it. Mm-hmm. The next 12 months is not going to be like that. We're going to be coming back to a, a more normal period uh, and an, a period where companies are, are battling with supply issues, with inflation, with interest rates. So uh, investors need to be a little bit more cautious going into 2022. I think the other thing to remember, right, just let's go back to Peloton for an example. It's the, the classic example of a COVID and interest rates, right? Massive pull forward in demand, right? Plus massive collapse in discount rates equals $400 share price. Your discount rates start rising a little bit, demand collapses, share prices lose, share price loses 50%, still looks expensive. You know, so that to me was a, as David said, I honestly think it was a one in 200 year period where, it, where if you had the right stock with the right narrative and the right sales growth and the discount rate collapsed, even if it was unprofitable, the share price went bananas. I, th- I just think it's a time to be selective. Right? Mm-hmm. We don't need to own all these things. Because something was once wildly overvalued doesn't mean it's cheap because it's come back 50%. doesn't mean that at all. Eventually, the market weighs you on the cash that you generate. And some of these things will never generate the cash to justify their current market caps. Gentlemen, we've reached the end of this hour. So I'm just going to summarise what we learned in the past half hour or so. ASML. Charlie got this one wrong. He wishes that he bought it and bought it up, you know, prior to today. He does think that for a long-term hold, because it has that pricing power that he really likes, it is a buy. ASML is still a bit too expensive for David. He would buy on weakness, but what he would buy in that semiconductor space is NVIDIA. So NVIDIA is a buy. It's a long-term buy and hold because it's used in Teslas, because it's used in... Um, you know, all of those sort of themes that will continue to take hold, those mega trends. Um, it is still, you know, a bit expensive, but it's a buy. And it's also a buy for Charlie as well. Yes, it's expensive, but it is a long-term hold. That theme of needing these semis is not going away anywhere. Microsoft v. Apple. So... Microsoft wins uh, for both of my expert guests. In fact, Charlie has sold out of Apple. It's a device maker in his view. He's not saying it's a bad company. It's just that's not what he would be buying. He would even buy Microsoft at these prices because it will continue to compound its earnings over time. Again, it's got that pricing power. Again, David doesn't mind either. He's not saying Apple's a bad company. He calls it a luxury goods maker, which is interesting. Mm. Um, But he would prefer Microsoft and, again, adding it to the portfolio. Roblox for Stuart. Apologies, Stuart, but it's just very specky, like the narrative. Charlie says your daughter could very, very well be onto something. But again, $62 billion market cap. He's nominated Nintendo as something that he's comfortably invested in in that space. Again, David says it's just very, very specky. Hard to get his head around the fundamentals. Uh, and then that brings us to Open Door Technology. So this is a this is a no uh, from from Charlie. It's just ripe for disruption, that whole real estate industry. This one is interesting, but it's not a buy today. Again, think about valuation. He'll be watching it, though, and uh, keeping an eye on that one. It's a hold, if you have it, for uh, David Lane. But again, worry about the housing market. It is a cyclical business, so you do need to be very careful in those names. So David Lane from Ordmanet, thank you so much for joining us. It's wonderful Appreciate to have it. you joining us. That was a bit of fun. Have a good Friday. It was.
and well, Charlie thank you Aiken. Very much. Thank you for joining us in studio from Aiken Funds Management. And look, you guys got along really well. I hope we can do this again in the future. Oh, yeah, I liked working with David. He was good. <laughs> Thanks, All right. Agreed with everything you say <laughs> and vice versa. Now, the call is where you need to email the call at ausbiz.com today if you'd like us to cover a stock for you on this program. You can tweet to us at TV, And don't forget, you can check out that fantasy NAB trade portfolio, the call portfolio at ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Thank you.